we are about halfway through the year. Just, just about. Not to, if you were, and I'm probably raining on your summer now, uh, saying you know, summer just started, you know, summer vacation and things like that for the kids. And I'm already saying we're halfway through the year. But if you think about it, we, we are almost about halfway through the year, um, which means probably for many of you that you're already beginning the process of Christmas shopping. Um, some begin Christmas shopping, you know, the day after Christmas. Like, okay, next year I'm going to... Um, do this or that, or you've got things planned. Some people are really, really excited about Christmas. And so um, there's 199 days, as of today, it just so happens, uh, until Christmas. So you can be, continue counting that down uh, yourself. But when, when it comes to Christmas, there's, there's certain things, or even birthdays for that matter, but there, there are certain pictures, uh, events, that I'm fairly certain replay themselves a thousand different times in every home. Um, over the years, and everybody will identify this in in some way. If you're not the person who's giving the gift, you've seen someone who has given a gift. Okay, you have an adult who's excited about this gift that they have gotten for a child. Um, You know, they're they're talking about it, they got the gift, it's wrapped up nicely and and ready to give to said toddler, whoever it is. And... um, you know, sometimes perhaps they'll, they'll under their breath so the child doesn't hear, they'll, they'll be telling, you know, the other person how they got it on sale or if they had a coupon or if, if they, you know, had something special happen with ordering it and, or whatever it would be. And, and they're trying to keep quiet so the child doesn't hear because they are quite excited about giving this gift. And then, um, you know, you come to Christmas morning and everybody's excited. The kids got up well before the sun did and, you know how how typically do toddlers react at Christmas time? They're happy, okay. They get all excited. They like the empty boxes. They like the empty. That's where we're headed, actually. That's where we're headed. You know, sometimes sometimes you get this sort of like deadpan look from a kid. Not, not maybe not that old. Maybe the, the little ones, especially like to get their first Christmas, baby's first Christmas, and you hand them the gift, and they kind of look at it like what. What do I do with this? <laughs> no doubt you've seen that. But then there are other kids, of course, who, uh, you know, they're not quite happy about it. You know, there's, there's only 26 gifts here, and last year I had 27, or whatever it be. You know, sometimes kids get, they could get pouty about what they did or did not get. But the thing that everybody sort of hopes for is that look of jubilation and elation when they open this gift. And, and everyone's, you know, excited to see that. So, you get the gift open, the child exclaims for joy over the gift, and, you know, and then immediately does what? What's next? Okay, probably before what's next. I can't, I can't hear the whispering. You'll have to speak up. Throws it to the side. Some will do that. Some will, yeah, some will do that. And they're like, okay, that was nice, and toss it. That's, that's what I was thinking in this case, is that sometimes those kids will say, open it, right now. And so someone has to go, and because you didn't think of it beforehand, so somebody has to get up and go to the kitchen and get scissors or something like that, and you come back, and then you spend the next 15 or 20 minutes cutting the innumerable number of little plastic things that hold it to the packaging such that it could like survive large blasts and things like that. It's, I don't know why they secure them so strongly. But it takes a long time, right, to get them loose. And then when you get it loose, you hand it to the child. 
And the child now does one of several other things. The child (laughs) might play with the toy for a little while, but then sets it aside and begins to play with the box instead, or the packaging, and it becomes this or that. They make it into a spaceship, or everybody piles in and, you know, get you know, push down the steps or down a you know, hill or something like that, where you know, you, it's kind of a letdown in some senses because you, you, you spend a whole lot of time or, or whatever effort and excitement about a gift, and then said child decides, and you know, we sort of laugh it off as adults because that's the mature thing to do. But inside you're like, oh, that's a bit of a letdown. As an adult, we don't get it. You know, where the child is saying, well, forget the gift, I want the box. Or they say, you know, in fact, the box is actually better than the toy, so I'm going to make do with this. Uh, As an adult, we look at it and we say, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Have you forgotten all about the really cool toy? Or we we think, you know, I I waited a long time to give you that. I bought that last January on clearance, and I was so excited to give it to you this Christmas. Um, or, Or we will think to ourselves, perhaps, have you seriously substituted a box? that falls apart for a toy, which hopefully is not the kind of toy that falls apart. Fisher-Price, they're sturdy, okay? So you took something that's, that's not going to last for, you know, for something, you exchange something that would last for something that's not, and, and we scratch our heads. But children are, do that kind of thing in their immaturity and in their youth. But how often do you think that God looks down from heaven seeing us play with the packaging of life when he's promised us something more permanent. And isn't it easy to forget eternity, to forget to take the long view on life and to see beyond the moment that we're living in? It's kind of like an eternity amnesia. There's the title at the top of your paper there. Forgetting what God has in store down the road. Well, that's really small print. I apologize for that. But eternity amnesia, forgetting what God has in store. When we forget what God has in store, it makes us set unrealistic expectations for today, you know, for this life, unrealistic expectations from other people because we're counting on them far too much than we really should. Eternity amnesia leaves us vulnerable to temptation because if the here and now is what we're living for, then what's temptation? It's just enjoyment looking for pleasure today that will bring satisfaction tomorrow, which never really works. Forgetting to live in light of eternity leaves us dependent on people and things that will only disappoint us and place us in a terrible spot of doubting God's goodness. Sometimes we struggle to open our spiritual eyes and see beyond our stubby noses, you know, and spiritually in a sense that uh, without even thinking, we wake up in the morning and forget God. So over the course of time, God has given us various reminders. When we look through the pages of the Bible, God has given reminders to his people so that they will not forget. What are some reminders that you can recall that God gave in the Bible? We, uh, okay, the rainbow. That's perfect. A reminder that God is not going to destroy the entire earth with water ever again. And it's a promise he made and a reminder he gave. Anything else? 
to help to not forget all of the things that God has done for the children of Israel. And they instituted a lot of those um, ceremonies and celebrations. Anything else? We kind of did one this past Sunday. Communion. Communion. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we so easily forget. And so uh, when we get to Colossians chapter 3, we'll look at just the first couple of verses here. It helps us to deter, to keep at bay, an eternity amnesia, to keep in mind the principles we see here. Paul deals with, um, just before we get to to Colossians chapter 3, he of course has Colossians chapter 2, where Paul is addressing uh, some different dangerous teachings that he has heard has come from the the church in Colossae. Some of those would be asceticism, which is basically denying, or the philosophy of, of denying the flesh. Anything physical is bad, and the spirit is good, so, you know, you know, do things to keep your body in check, which, of course, isn't true. The worship of angels. If we look, actually, might as well flip there. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no man beguile you, your reward, in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels and intruding in those things which has not seen, vainly puffed up in their flesh and mind. So the worshiping of angels is another thing that Paul is, is uh, concerned about, and then detailed visions that, well, I saw this, and God told me that. And these things were in danger of making the Colossians forget their head, Jesus Christ. And that is sort of the overall theme of Colossians, is the, the centrality, if I can use that word, of Jesus Christ. And in forgetting him, promote a man-made religion where, if you look at the, uh, the last verse, verse 23 of chapter 2, that are of no value to stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So, if the Colossians were to remain focused on Christ, they mustn't merely stay away from bad teaching, but be reinforced and reminded of what is true. So, Paul reminds the Colossians and us that to avoid spiritual amnesia or eternity amnesia, uh, amnesia to forget eternity. We must now take. We must take a long view, and be heavenly minded, and to remain taking the long view of life. To be heavenly minded, you can do this by remembering who we are in Christ and remembering our status in Christ. So that first point there. Let's read verse one of Colossians chapter three. In fact, I'll just read the first two verses so you can see that here. If then. You be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you, you died, you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. So those who know Jesus Christ as Savior... We can be heavenly minded by remembering who we are in Jesus Christ. We've stepped beyond mere confession of truth that, you know, as as the demons say, we would know that you are the Son of God. Just beyond confession of truth about who Jesus is to a committed walk with Christ. Um, And if you looked at back at chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We're talking about you have been buried with Jesus Christ in baptism. That's the picture. 
which we explain here often whenever we baptize. And now we can baptize again because of that baptismal's fixed. But you, you being dead, I'm sorry, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you, verse 13, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him um, and made alive. We have been raised with Christ. Paul states this as a fact, not as something that's cloudy uh, or uncertain. It's a fact. You have been raised with Christ. And we look there at the beginning of verse 1. If then, or it really should be since then, you have risen with Christ. Um, Believers make Christ their aspiration by relentlessly pursuing Christ in the spirit of Philippians 3.10. Can someone quote that for us real quick? Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, off the top of your head. I'll even let you look it up if you want. It's a race. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Somebody get there. The kids would have, if the kids were here, they would have been there already, just so you know. If someone gets there, go ahead and read it loud. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Okay, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection. We have been raised with Christ. When we forget who we are in Christ, the amnesia leads us to think on untruths. We tend to think that a bad day today is all there is and tomorrow offers no different. We tend to think that a failure yesterday means I'm labeled for life and somehow I'm beyond God's grace. Eternity amnesia tends to make us think that God too forgets. Though we know that not to be, you know, it's not true, we tend to think that God forgets as well. But remember who you are in Christ. You have been raised with him. And we know him and get to know him more in the fellowship of his sufferings and in his resurrection. Because of the resurrection, who are we in Christ? Um, Are there any phrases that come to your mind uh, that you can recall just from Scripture that describe us in Christ from the Bible? Or what's different when we are in Christ? I'll throw one out there to give you an idea. Um, We are adopted. It's a totally different scenario than before. In Christ, we are adopted. Okay, you're a new creature? Complete. You're complete in Christ. And he's given us everything as well that we need for life and for godliness. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Um, We are alive in Christ, whereas we were spiritually dead. That was one that I've written in. But you are a different person whose eternal home is a different place than it once was. Don't forget that and think short-sightedly. It's really hard in the moments when, you know, the kids just, you know, broke something in the house that was a family heirloom, uh, was, uh, or when the, you walk out in the morning to go to work, you're running behind anyway, you heard the traffic report, and you have a flat tire. <sighs> it's hard in those moments to not think short-sightedly. Um, but that helps us, especially when we're dealing with the more um, permanent things of life. When we find out and we get the prognosis from the doctor that whatever it is you're dealing with isn't going away. And you're now with this for the rest of your life. 
We're like, ah. But to remember that we are risen with Christ. He is ours. We are his. And that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. So we are heavenly minded by remembering who we are in Christ, but also remembering our status in Christ. Um, Looking again at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Seek those things that are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. The Christian life is an otherworldly life. Our desires aren't supposed to be here, but in a different place. Well, in a different person probably would be the way to, better way to say that. We, as Christians, live in an otherworldly life. Isn't it easy to get our wanter, our wanters, if that's a thing, uh, attached to something? We, we readily crave ease. We readily crave rest and joy and don't particularly want anything to do with responsibility, hard work, or suffering of any kind. (laughs) No suffering whatsoever. But that's not God's particular plan for us. We tend to think that politics matter most, that broken vases matter most, that a win by the Phillies or whoever your favorite team is matters most. I'm not a Phillies fan, so don't label me as such. Um... I'm a Baltimore boy, so it has to be Orioles. But without intending to, the little stuff in our lives becomes big. Um, or even, even in the sense we try to set up in some way or insulate ourselves from the fallenness of our world to set up a little paradise here on earth. So a good marriage perhaps becomes our hope of paradise, a paradise here on earth. Uh, healthy relationships with our kids become our hope for a paradise on earth. A beautiful and well-kept home, though it's a good thing, perhaps can become our little insulated paradise on earth. And we allow these things to tell us what paradise is and how much they already resemble it. But when we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, seek those things which are above. The, the word seek there has the idea of, of I seek, I search for something, I desire something. This isn't like a preoccupation, um, some wistful staring off into the distance, uh, hoping for something. You know, because it says, you know, where Christ is. Seek those things to draw above where Christ is. So I'm going to hope uh, off in the distance in heaven somewhere is God, and I'm just going to sit here. It's my sense of humor, but you remember this old show, the movie, you know, the American Tale, and they're singing the song somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight. That's, that's not how we wait for Christ. That's not how we desire uh, to be with him or for, his to, for him to return. Um, it's not, that's not seeking the things that are above. This is not aspiring after so-called uh, higher knowledge, or in the case of Um, the Colossians, visions of angels or severity towards one's body in order to force further revelation from God. I put up a picture there from the Philippines. I don't know if you're familiar with some of the things that they do there, Uh, but they they will have different types of parades in the streets that involve... Uh, things like self-flagellation and, and all these, you know, doing penance of various types in order to force God to act. And that's not what this is. That's not seeking the things that are above. This is not seeking to find relief from the pressures of this world hitting the escape key. 
by looking for a better one. Now, certainly, we look forward to heaven and we look forward to the sigh of relief when the sin curse is taken away. And we look forward to the sigh of relief uh, when all of the unfair things are made right and just. But this is not what we mean by seeking the things which are above. While spending eternity with Christ will certainly be free of the pressures of a sin-scarred world, that's not seeking the things that are above. When we forget our status in Christ... There we go. I'm pressing the clicker. There we go. When we forget our status in Christ, we will not seek after, we will not desire after, we will not search after the things that are most important to God. The Christian life is an otherworldly life. And seeking those things that are above recalls to our minds, it's us recalling to our minds, that our desires mustn't be limited to this horizontal view of life. That there's a vertical that sometimes our blinders, you know, the, you know, the horses that have blinders, they blind out everything that's, that's next to them, horizontal to them. But it seems that spiritually, our blinders got like tilted this way. And we see everything on the horizontal, but we don't look up. And we don't think of God. And it's easy to fall into that. So it's wonderful to have your good marriage, but it's never going to be paradise. And it's great to have a good relationship with your children, but they will never deliver paradise to you. Not like Christ will, for sure. I mean, sometimes we may think our, our children are great, and other times... And so, your, <laughs> your beautiful home that began decaying the day that it was finished, they installed the carpet, handed over the keys, turned on the AC for you, and, and you moved into a new home, it begins decaying that day. It, will not, it wasn't built, it wasn't intended to really to produce paradise. Regardless of the, the marketing schemes we see on TV, those things that are 1999 act now will not deliver paradise to us. Flawed people all around us will not deliver paradise like relationships. And in forgetting who and what we are in Christ, forgetting how we're designed to live, forgetting who God is, and forgetting what is to come, eternity, we make ourselves crazy and everyone else probably around us too. Is Christ who is our life? Remember that uh, phrase, it's in verse 4. When Christ who is our life shall appear. When he is the focus, of the, he is the fo- to be the focus of the Christian's desires. Not wealth, not experiences, not comforts, not even our favorite programming. But to remember that our status in Christ, to remember that our desires and our pursuits are in someone that's concrete, something that is real, the person Jesus Christ. But there's more to remembering our status in Jesus. The Christian life is an other-kingdomly. The Christian life is other-kingdomly. I don't know if that's a... It's not a real word. I, I made it up, and it was underlined with the red squiggles um, on my computer, but I liked the way it sounded. The Christian life is other-kingdomly, or living in light of our true citizenship. Our status is a heavenly one, a notion that we don't belong here. I already made mention of that song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. We tend to think somehow that things are going to get better here on earth for God's people if we do X, Y, or Z. But in careful seriousness, I want to ask the question, when has it ever been better on earth for God's people 
the people who follow him. The Jews, their track record, persecution. The Christians, track record, persecution. <laughs> uh, so we look around us right now in our situation, like, well, what's, what's going to happen for Christians in our setting? Well, eh, could be persecution, especially if we're going to stand uh, for our Savior and to seek those things that are above. Um, if you want to write down the, the references, Romans 8.32, or which is actually a quote from Psalm 44, you can look that one up yourself. But consider, uh, let's, let's all turn real quick to Philippians chapter 3. We were in Philippians just a second ago, but Philippians chapter 3. All right. I want to read verse 17 through 19 for you real quick. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have um, us for an example. In other words, follow our example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Uh, the, the phrase, um, let me back myself up here. Um, those whose God is their own desire are those people who mind earthly things. I don't think I have a phrase on that. No, I don't. Go. Ah, that is not what I wanted to have happen. Okay. So the, the phrase, if you look at verse 20, we'll move on here. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word there, conversation, in the King James is kind of unfortunate. Um, the word means your state, or your commonwealth, your citizenry. In other words, our citizenship is in heaven. It's a heavenly one where we look for the return of our Savior. And when we forget our status in Jesus Christ, we'll tend to think that the little R rulers in our lives, whatever that authority may be, usually the unjust ones, we think those little R rulers are bigger and scarier than the big R, capital R, ruler who is Lord of creation and who is the Lord of time. But remember that your status in Christ, remember all the recent sermons that the pastor has been preaching on heaven and all the glories of it, and he's gone into great detail describing what we know uh, of heaven. That is our home. That is the place that we've never been, and we can't imagine for all of its beauty. But that is where our citizenship is. That's where our passport uh, is, is. We're waiting for our passports, I suppose, uh, so that we can travel there one day, uh, that we can be with our Savior forever. But we already have the citizenship papers. That's where we belong, not here. Not here uh, on this earth and in this day. So we are to remember who we are in Christ and what our true heavenly status is. And we put that into action when we look at the uh, uh, verse 2. Oh, I left Colossians 3. Let's go back to Colossians 3. Just a few pages over for you probably. Verse 2. That we are to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above, 
means to think about it in a particular way, to judge it this way, to observe it this way. Uh, and, and it carries the idea of aligning with a constant or a true measure. So if you think about it in the ancient world, it would be the idea of, a, of the sundial. You adjust your sundial to the sun because the sun is relatively constant. And you set that to that. So if you want to think about it, I suppose, if we were to translate the sundial and, and time uh, analogy to modern times, it would be um, the spies are about to go in on their mission and they synchronize their watches, you know, before they're setting to a, a common standard. And we are to set our minds, uh, our affections on things above, to align to the constant of heavenly thinking and of heaven's values. There's a uh, little song in our hymnal that I don't, I don't know if I've ever sung, but I like the words of it. It's number 569. Um, it's short. Uh, it's simply, with eternity's values in view, dear Lord, with eternity's values in view. And I forget the third phrase, but it's there. May, may I, something about may I do every day's work with eternity's values in view. Uh, I didn't keep the right rhyme and meter, but I think you got the idea. I, I like, I really enjoy that phrase because it helps me when I'm losing sight, when my blinders turned sideways and I'm just seeing everything on the horizontal that when things aren't going very well or the way that I wish they would or it's taking too long to get the answer that I want and I am neglecting the long view and I'm neglecting an eternal viewpoint and perspective that God wants me to have. And that's where uh, being in his word uh, helps us to tune and to keep our minds from becoming um, what it was before Christ. Uh, Because without his word, that's where we default to. This world, of course, is is not a paradise. That's not front page news for you. But um, yet we still try to make this world that way. And we get bent out of shape sometimes when it isn't paradise. And this moment that we live in won't be paradise, but we shouldn't be expecting it to be either. And there's got to be more to this life than just this. And that is our home in heaven. That is an eternal view, the long look. Uh, Right now we're living on earth with all of the paperwork that proves our home is elsewhere. And we're merely waiting for our passports to arrive. So don't develop eternity amnesia. Don't play with the packaging of life. That When God has promised for us something that's more permanent, you know, instead of playing with the cardboard with the plastic covering, instead of focusing on the fact that God has given us something permanent, something of value. Um, keep walking with God as though heaven is your actual home. Keep bathing your mind in his word as though heaven is your actual home. Keep living by faith as though heaven is your actual home. And keep being a responsible example of the believers as though heaven is your actual home. Because tomorrow you will go to work or you'll be at home or whatever your tasks are day to day. And there are going to be things that try to tell you that this is all there is, so push off responsibilities and enjoy now. There's going to be temptations to get caught up in the bad attitudes of your coworkers. Boy, isn't that hard? And when your cubicle's right next to them, you can't get away. <laughs> You're like, 
And there's going to be that temptation to think just as short-sighted as the lost around us. But I encourage you to keep walking close to the Savior, keep in his word, so that you don't develop eternity amnesia, forgetting uh, where it is that God has brought us from, and certainly where he is taking us to. This moment that we live in today is a time of preparation for the true paradise that's to come, when sin gets, well, it'll get more than a black eye. Sin's going to be destroyed, and it's going to be removed forever. And all will be restored to what God intended the world to be. But while we deal with today, we keep an eye on eternity. And I want to encourage you that way, to think that way, and to remind yourself, um, perhaps even if this had been a particularly long week for you, uh, that there is more to come. There will be that sigh of relief. But for now, we labor for the Master.